the Under Center podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Darmar, and I'm joined just by Phil Malloy this week. Uh, Jake is not available and neither, of course, is Al. So um, it's just the two boys here chatting some football on this Thursday evening. Fionn, um, how are we after Sunday on the mend? Yeah, on the mend. Had a little uh, little muscle injury, so that's going to take a week or two to, to fully heal up, but most of the pain is gone. The knees, the knees that were the ground was really hard and my knees always suffer. Don't know if you big men in the trenches really end up, but I did be diving around the place trying to grab anybody I could running past me, uh, which there was plenty of, as you know. Not not the not the easiest game for the Pirates this weekend. But uh, yeah, so the knees are slowly starting to, the swelling is starting to go down a little bit. I can I can walk around at least, so that's good. Oh, that's always a plus. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. But yeah, us big guys, we're not built to run. Um, and that's what happened to me. I ran after a player trying to make a tackle. And that's when I got my muscle injury, which meant I couldn't finish the game either. So, you know, we're just we're a bunch of walking wounded here now this mm-hmm. week. And um, thankfully, this is a seated show and not a standing one or else we could be in a little bit of trouble. But hey, look, it was a, a you could some say a humbling defeat. But hey, look, circumstances we're beyond their control and look we'll all we can do is look ahead to the next game against the uh, the Causeway Giants a return game against the Causeway Giants in two weeks time and they uh, try to put things right yeah get a little bit more competitive at least it, it was the first game it was a very good first game uh, came right down to the wire they got the better of us so hopefully on home home soil we can we can flip the script Exactly, exactly. And that's going to be on the 24th of April. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking a bit more about closer to the date, but we're here to talk about some NFL action. And uh, we are going to be speaking to Mike Olivia from DolphinsTalk.com in the second half of the show, uh, just to talk about the, of course, the very busy Miami Dolphins offseason they've had so far, which includes, of course, the big massive trade for Tyreek Hill, as well as all the offensive weapons for a, a quarterback to it, Tunga Vailoa, and of course, a new head coach, Mike McDaniel. But let's talk a little bit about news and let's talk a little bit about some wide receiver contracts. Let's start off with that. Uh, I always like seeing players get their bag. So let's talk about a player that got his bag just the other day. And that's Stefan Diggs of the Buffalo Bills, who has signed a massive four-year, $104 million extension on his deal. He had two years left on his current deal. He's after signing a four-year extension, which includes a $70 million guaranteed, uh, at, at, sorry, guaranteed with this contract, I should say. So it's six years in total. Um, the total contract now stands at 124.1 million because, of course, they have to get the point one in. Um, and with this now... Um, Diggs uh, joins the list of Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams in this offseason in the wide receiver position that have gotten brand new contracts and massive guaranteed money along with those contracts. With the $70 million of Diggs goes along with the uh, $65 million that Devontae Adams got with the Raiders and a massive $72.2 million that Tyreek Hill got for signing with the Miami Dolphins. Fionn, it is a massive uh, offseason for wide receivers and getting new contracts. Um, something that you know that we do love to see, especially I think DeAndre Hopkins was the last probably big uh, contract before these ones this offseason. And then also looking ahead to sort of other players, the likes of Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and uh, of course your own Terry McLaurin, sort of next in line. We could see the, those numbers get even more inflated. Yeah, I think the teams are going to be scrambling around a little bit to do a Buffalo Bills on it. I think getting that extension done with two years left on the contract allows you to, he's obviously going to stick on his original money for the next two years before that new money kicks in. And I think, to be honest, it's a, it's a great for both ways. It's a great way for Diggs to cash in on the money. Obviously, we expect that the cap has gone up from last season and probably will continue to go up. So it's a good time for the for him to get this deal. And I think in the long run, the team is going to be happy as well. I think both parties are going to be happy because by the time that six years rolls around, I think 20 million a year for a wide receiver is going to seem pretty cheap, especially for one like Diggs. And you don't have to worry about re-signing and new signing, if that makes sense. He's already played in the system for a couple of years, performed really well. 
made that transition over from the Vikings and never really missed a beat. I think he's been arguably in the top 10, maybe wide receivers in the league. I know everyone has their own their own list, but I, I don't think anyone would uh, would give out too much saying he was a very highly respected wide receiver in this league and plenty of talent still to go around. Made the Pro Bowl, obviously, this year. I expect him to make the Pro Bowl a few more times. So I think this is a good deal for both parties. Yeah, um, he was sort of a victim of the system, you could say, when he was in Minnesota with the Vikings, of course, when they had that run first sort of scheme. And of course, you know yourself as well with the with the quarterback that's on the center there as well. He probably wasn't always guaranteed the targets he would have liked. Um, but he is the main man in Buffalo. Um, he has had that fantastic connection with Josh Allen, which will continue of course, with this six-year contract, he's 28 now. He'll be 34 when this contract is finished. So it looks as though like Diggs would be pretty content then to finish his career out uh, in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think he might get one more contract, kind of short-term contract. But like I said, I think it, it, everything fell in line. The, the cap allowed him to get his money. And for the team, it's a nice kind of length where, sure, you, you're you're putting in a big contract right now but by the time we get to the end of that contract i think it's going to seem like a pretty good value for the player they got and like i mentioned just a minute ago coming off the back of a pro bowl those are the kind of players that you want to give those big contracts they want as you alluded to there's a couple of lads coming up that are very very good wide receivers that don't necessarily have the cv that stefan Diggs does and i think that's gonna pose a few questions to these teams because Everybody wants to build on what the last man got for them and it's, it's kind of collective bargaining and all that stuff. So they're going to go on to get paid. There's going to be some business decisions made about whether or not, first of all, these teams want to pay. And secondly, if these teams can pay, we've seen some teams have issues with this with this uh, cap, the salary cap, even this year, even with all those restructuring tricks that we saw over the last couple of seasons. So it'll be interesting to see who can keep their stars and who wants to keep their stars. Yeah, and it is interesting that you mentioned that about the players upcoming as well and and how a new contract will always want to, you know, beat the previous one that was given out. It's sort of a, it's not a, in terms of a level of deserving, it's sort of the next man up mentality when it comes to contracts, Mm. the exact same when it comes to the quarterback position almost pretty much too. And, you said there's going to be some interesting questions and I'm going to pose one of those interesting questions to you. I mentioned Terry McLaurin, part of the commanders. If you are in the commanders uh, front office at this moment, despite having to worry about the other issues that we'll probably get to next week about uh, the owner. But when it comes to Terry McLaurin, do you think that now would be the right time to pull the trigger on getting a new deal for him to beat the Stefan Diggs contract? Or do you would you wait and see if other teams like the Titans and AJ Brown or the Seahawks with DK Metcalf or uh, the 49ers with Debo Samuel, if you have to beat them, if they beat you to the punch and getting their uh, players signed before you? Hmm. Well, you know what I think should be done and what the commanders tend to normally do are two polar opposite things. I think, yeah, I think now is a good time to do it. We are building a team, and when you're building a team, you need those weapons to be around and to be able to plan ahead of time and know that you have your first your first wide receiver in the bank. I think you get him to sign a contract as long as he is comfortable to sign and you pay him what you can because I think it's going to be another aspect of like the Stefan Diggs where he has shown a tremendous amount of talent. He works well with the quarterbacks that we've had and we haven't even had a good quarterback. So it remains to be seen if... Wentz is a step up great if he's not he's at least as good as what we've had so I still expect him to be productive if we can get that sorted get him into an even more improved offense I think his production should even go up so I wouldn't mind overspending what the market says right now because I believe at the end of the contract you're going to be making your money's worth back on that and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a key part of this Washington offense going forward I don't see where the alternative is. I don't see the value of letting him go. We let the likes of Sheriff go. He, by the sound of it, wouldn't even sign a contract with us. He he wanted out. And we have a habit in recent years of letting those stud players go 
the last big player that we kept for a long time was uh was it Pierre Garçon? I believe it was Pierre Garçon mm-hmm. was a kind of a wide receiver we had for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we haven't really had that since then. So I think it's important to keep those key figures around because it does really inform you of, oh, well, okay, what, what kind of running backs can we sign? Is McKissick worth re-signing if we've got McLaren? I think that's a totally different question if you don't have McLaren. Uh, and same with quarterbacks. It gives you an opportunity to evaluate them. How do they connect with McLaren? Is this going to be a successful partnership? And obviously, everything is built on from there. So I think you have to build your dynamic duo, which so many good teams have, and that really informs where the rest of the offense is going. So yes, really long answer to a really short question. Yes, I think now is the time to re-sign McLaren before he gets one way too expensive or two cold feet that we've seen some of the stars on the commanders start to get in recent years. And if you uh, agree with Fiona, or if you uh, disagree and you think that they shouldn't sign Terry McLaurin, or if you if you uh, think that the Diggs contract was a bad one, you can always uh, comment and let us know on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at UndercenterPod. Uh, you can do the same on Instagram at UndercenterPod. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, you want to subscribe to our YouTube channel, get involved in the YouTube chat, you can. Uh, go to Undercenter Podcast. Just search for that on Twitter. You'll find us there. This show is also live there, so you can go into the YouTube chat and, and uh, discuss what your feelings is towards the massive uh, Stefan Diggs contract with the Buffalo Bills. But uh, we'll move on to the next story. And this happened last week, but we didn't get the chance to speak about it. And that is, of course, uh, Bruce Arians deciding to uh, take a step away from the head coach role of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Instead, he's going to be taking a job upstairs in the front office. Um, Todd Bowles has been announced as the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, he was the defensive coordinator in Tampa Bay for the last couple of seasons. Um, Fiona, we won't talk too much about Arians' legacy and stuff like that because it's been talked about all week and obviously he's had a, a fantastic career um not just of course with Tampa Bay but also with the likes of you know um he was with the Colts for a while as well as the Steelers and of course uh, most notably as well spent a long time with the Arizona Cardinals but the choice of head coach I found quite interesting um Todd Bowles he does have head coach experience of course with the New York Jets which you know your head coach and your head coach in New York Jets, you're probably not going to do too well, um, which was the case for Todd Bowles. He had a losing record there and was only there for a couple of years. The thing I find interesting is the offensive coordinator there in Tampa Bay, Byron Leftwich, um, he was pretty much lined up to take the ta- the Jacksonville Jaguars job, um, but didn't. And um, rumors led to the rumors believe that he didn't take it because he didn't want to work with the GM there. And then um, the owner, Sadiq Khan, was not willing to remove the GM. Sorry, the name just doesn't come to um, my mind right at this moment. But um, I, I myself personally would have thought the, the best option would to have um, promoted Byron Leftwich to be the head coach. And continue with Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator because he also has head coach experience, which would help Byron Leftwich in that because obviously he would be a rookie head coach. It seems I thought that would have been the perfect setup. Also, Tom Brady raves about Byron Leftwich and, and, and loves the offensive uh, plays he comes up with. So that would have been great for Tom as well. I, I don't know. What, what do you think, Fionn? Do you think they made the right choice with, with Todd Bowles? The right choice, I don't know. We're going to have to see. I think maybe even 10 years into the future before we know whether it was the right choice or not. I think Byron Leftwich will get a chance to be a head coach at some point. His name seems to come up year in, year out in the offseason when the coaching carousel begins to spin up. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a seat somewhere, a head coaching seat somewhere. I did think, same as you, it was quite interesting. Not necessarily the Arians' retirement. Obviously, he's had health issues the last few years. So that's nothing particularly surprising, but... Yeah, the decision to bring up Bowles over Leftwich and and what that means for both of the guys. Obviously, Todd Bowles is probably licking his lips. It's a great chance for him to work with a, a really packed team. Tom Brady. You get Tom Brady with Byron Leftwich, who he already likes in that offense. So you get kind of best of both worlds. That defense is really incredible. So I think anyone he decides to bring in as his defense coordinator is going to have a pretty easy time of it. So that might help to change the narrative on his career 
uh, and get the kind of wash the Jets taste out of his mouth, if that makes sense. But for Byron Leftwich, I think it's a little bit more negative. If you're in this this team, this franchise, for that amount of time, being discussed for a head coaching role somewhere else, when that when the guys who know you best pass on you to be the head coach guy, I wonder does that knock his standing down a few pegs? Of course, 32 teams, a few of them really bad in the NFL. Someone's going to take a punt on them, as I mentioned. But maybe now those really juicy coaching seats may not be as interested in Byron Leftwich as before, just from reading into why the Buccaneers might have passed over him. Now, there could be all sorts of things there. Maybe it was discussed with him. Maybe he decided he didn't want to do it. He wanted to bide his time, get an option somewhere else. But uh, having said what I said about Bowles and, and how good this team is right now, seems odd if you were offered that job to pass it up because it's a great resume builder and a chance to get a lot of wins under your belt with a very good ready-made team that can be a franchise contender in a slightly weakening NFC as the balance goes between NFC and AFC at the moment. So yeah, that was really interesting. What do you think? Do you think it harms his uh, job opportunities now in the future? Or am Um, I reading too much into that? Again, again, like uh, how you started my answering my question, I'm going to give you the exact same answer. We won't know straight away. It's going to take a couple of years before we know. Um, But I don't know. I, like I, I, I just looked at it, and like you mentioned it there, I didn't get to mention it either. That they're in a weak division with, you know, Matt Rule, who's hanging on by a thread in Carolina. You've got Dennis Allen in his first year as head coach of the Saints. You've got, um, you know, Arthur Smith, who basically doesn't have a quarterback in Atlanta. They are in full rebuild mode. The NFC in total has lost a lot of really, really good players. So I don't know if maybe management or front office thought that, um, that listen, if we have someone that has experience, albeit losing experience in New York, it's still experience as a head coach nonetheless, um, that we can pretty much ensure ourselves at least a divisional round, if not a, a conference championship, because other than, you know, you know, Green Bay have got considered, sorry, excuse me, Green Bay have got considered to be weaker. Um, the Rams are going to continue to be a threat and they'll probably, they look like they're going to be, you know, the standout uh, front runners for the NFC next year. So there's like, there's a lot of teams with a lot of issues in that NFC. And, you know, I, I, I think what it would just have been the time, maybe they, maybe they also don't want to take a punt with a rookie head coach when you have a quarterback who's 45 years old and hasn't got the time to waste a year on a rookie coach, you know, getting his bumps or like getting used to being a head coach, getting this experience. So maybe... Maybe that's the case. They had to go with the experience for maybe certain things that Todd Bowles will know how to deal with that a rookie head coach in Byron left, which wouldn't. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It, it, it seems weird for me because so many teams have had him in their discussion, their, their lists that kind of get leaked out to the media of who they're interested in. And we know he goes for interviews every offseason. So it's weird that other teams are looking at him saying that he has that potential uh, and like you said, sure, head coaching experience is always valuable, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe it. If that makes sense, I know I just said it, but I don't believe it because we we've had some incredible first time coaches look at rivals down in in the Tennessee Titans. So if you continue to just use the same thirty two coaches over and over again, you're never going to find that new talent. So I think it was interesting, given how well I guess maybe if you're in cruise control. You don't want to rock the ship too much. I guess you're right there. And and that's why some of the smaller, the weaker teams are willing to take a punt on these guys without head coaching experience because if they can turn it around, all the better. If it's a bust, hey, you haven't got any worse. So I guess maybe that's what they're doing. They're just trying to have a steady hand. But it's going to be interesting because how how many years did they give Bowles on his contract? I think four or five, five seasons. Five, five seasons. A brand so, new five-year contract, yeah. So they're clearly planning to have him go beyond Tom Brady. So it's not like a caretaker role 
you get the job as long as Tom Brady has the job, and then we're going to see what we want to do with the franchise. So maybe, maybe Todd Bowles was just ranked straight up ranked above them in terms of above uh, Byron Leftwich in terms of head coaching yeah. opportunities in the in the Buccaneers organization. So again, like we both said, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, I just hope for Leftwich's sake that it doesn't turn into another. Eric Bieniemy situation where every season Eric Bieniemy goes for head coaching, multiple multiple head coaching interviews, and for some reason or another he's just not getting the job. We don't yeah. need another issue like that happening in the league, and especially like when it comes to like a, a minority sort of you know coach as well. You know, then the serious questions will be asked of that too. That why are these coaches getting multiple interviews and and not getting the um, the job? You know. Look, listen, and which we'll talk about with um, Mike uh, Olivia of DolphinsTalk.com later on with the Brian Flores case that he is feeling that he is just not getting a proper shot at uh, head coaching opportunities. So um, we'll have to see. Hopefully it's not that. And, and look, hopefully for both Byron and uh, Eric Bienemy's, uh case that um, they do get the head coaching jobs that you would feel that they deserve at this point as well, that there is that some some teams should be taking a, a chance with these guys. And But we'll wait and see. We'll have to just wait mm. and see. Like I said, time, time will tell. Let's get to our final news piece before we move on to the second half of the show. And that was, well, I'm not going to call it a blockbuster trade. It was the trade that I think everybody needed to read it a couple of times to understand what was going on. And that was, of course, between the Eagles and the Saints trading picks. So, I'm going to try to describe it as best as I can here. So, the Saints received, okay, the Philadelphia's Eagles' 16th and 19th pick in this year's draft, so both in the first round, and then a sixth-round pick, which is pick 194. In return, the Saints sent back to the Eagles the number 19 pick in this year's draft, again, a first-round pick, a third-round pick, the 101st pick, the uh, a seventh round pick, I believe 237 was that one, and a 2023 first round pick and a 2024 second round pick. Mm -hmm. So a lot of a lot of numbers going around there very quickly. Um, but uh to break it down, the Saints sent this year's one and a next year's one for two ones this year if you want to break it down in that like it really break it down like to layman's terms there so um the saints are looking to definitely build um in this draft this year it could be that the saints are going to repackage those two picks and possibly go to um a team uh, in the top 10 um let's i'm just trying to have a look see here who are the, the jets and the giants definitely have two picks in the top 10 each this year um so we i'm just going to take the list yeah jacksonville one the lions two and let me just see here yeah the giants have pick five and seven the jets have four and ten so i'm guessing they might be looking towards a quarterback they think that they're going to have to get in the top 10 to get one if it is a malik lewis or a kenny pickett um, so I think the the aim it looks like is to get ahead of Carolina in mm -hmm. six because Carolina looked like they're going to draft a quarterback. So the Jets have four, the Giants have five. Maybe they're going to use this sixteen and nineteen to go to one of those teams and try and get into that position. What do you think? Yeah, if I was them, I'd go for the Giants pick uh, just to kind of take them out of the equation just in case they get any ideas in their head. I mean, obviously they have to accept the trade, but for me of those jets and giants, the, the one that might be willing to go ahead and, and take a quarterback uh, would be giants over the jets. The jets obviously have Wilson already. Uh, so they're not probably not going to be in the market. Um, now, of course, you could trade with the Jets and get ahead of the Giants. So I think either way, but yeah, I agree with you. One of those two slots is probably where they go for one because Carolina is is very likely to take a quarterback, and two, I think the Giants are at least gonna him and haw and see who's up there by the time they get there. So normally this wouldn't be a big deal to talk about. I think it's 
it's it's the first real there's been a little bit of shuffling here or there but it's the first real draft minded trade that we've seen go down and and it gives us and everyone else a lot of fun trying to figure out what this move means and and what the follow-on dominoes that are going to fall are going to be when we get to draft day. Yeah. Let me throw this at you, though. The Giants, or not the Giants, sorry, the Detroit Lions have picked number two. Mm-hmm. Now, at the start of the offseason, we heard that the Detroit Lions are interested in trading down, or moving down, I should say. Do you think, now, we could be wrong, and the Lions could maybe want to draft a quarterback because, you know, you still have Jared Goff. He's not exactly going to be the answer. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't justify taking a quarterback in this class at number two, but they can take one at 16, maybe, if it is a, a Matt Coral, Sam Howell, mm. or a, I think, Desmond Ritter. They're the ones that are kind of, you know, projected to be down at that point. So maybe if they, maybe if the Saints go to, to the Lions and say, look, they're 16, 19, maybe the Saints are fine taking a Malik Lewis. Um or a Malik Willis, sorry, um and or a Kenny Pickett at number two. Maybe they mm-hmm. have no problem doing that, which would ensure obviously they get ahead of Carolina. Or like you mentioned, because I didn't think of it until you mentioned it either. The Giants may be thinking, oh, maybe we could use one of those picks on a quarterback as well, in case because it is Daniel Jones's last year. So in case he doesn't work out, but mm-hmm. what do you think about pick number two? Oh, that that might be too high. It might it might require too much draft capital. Uh, I know the Lions want to get out of there, but I always find it interesting of teams that want to get out of there, but have too many teams around them. If that makes sense, that are that are kind of also vying for a quarterback. So it it, it kind of devalues a little bit. I think the second round pick or overvalues that second round pick. So. I don't know. I, it's it. That's what's really confusing. Now they have two first round picks. Is it a package? Because two first rounders to go up to five or four, I think, or two even. Do you not think that's quite a lot? Even if it is the second round pick for the quality of quarterback we have in this draft, I'm saying you're not mm-hmm. getting up to get uh, Trevor Lawrence. I don't know what to call it. Caliber is yet to be determined, but that kind of hype around them. I, I don't feel that hype around any of these quarterbacks this year. So maybe this is the year where you kind of try and pick your way as high up as you can. Maybe keep one of those draft picks in, in the back pocket. So you have a spare first rounder and see if anyone's willing to trade down for some mm-hmm. background picks that you might've acquired. I don't know if they're going to want to give up both first rounders to get up to two and probably have to give up some other picks as well, just to get the lines out of there, even if they want to move. That's that's my feeling. The lines are going to ask for a lot to get out of there. Well, I, I, I think it all just depends on how comfortable the lines would be picking at number two. Mm-hmm. Because if the Saints are the only ones coming to them with a, a trade proposal to take that number two pick, um, uh, then it's the lines are going to have to make that decision. We'll say, look, listen, do we want to um do we want to um take that do you want to take this package let's say it is just one of those um uh one of those pick one of only one of those first round picks let's call it say 16 so maybe if it's only uh pick 16 but i don't know like then you also look at the other side of it like we could be totally okay if it is um, Aiden Hutchinson if he if the uh, Panthers don't pick him up, or it'd be the other one which would be um, was it Kyvan and Thibodeau. Um, so one of those two will obviously go as pick number one. We think so that you can get the other one is a, and you have your probably premier edge rusher now going into the season. And look, maybe you can go another season with with Jared Goff, and then you can get yourself in a nice position in next year's draft where. Mm-hmm we see that the, the quarterbacks, proposed quarterbacks, are of a better quality in next year's draft than this year's draft. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But that was just a thought off the top of my head of a team that I heard that was interested in getting out of their position. And look, maybe maybe that's the case. If they're comfortable still drafting at number two and they're not pushed unless they're blown away by an offer with the Saints, and like you're saying, Fionn, it may take maybe not just even the two ones that they have to offer. It may take mm. 
a second. Um, they obviously won't have next year's one to offer them either. But it all depends on on what how they think they value it. Yeah, and and it, and it depends on who's going to want to do things. You know what I mean? The Texans. How do they feel about their quarterback? Are they going to be interested? Again, we said the Panthers, the Falcons could probably draft. Seattle might even draft a quarterback just to see. So that's kind of three, four teams there where you have to go up, but they're they're far enough back from two where it's really difficult to know whether that value is really going to get you there. Of course, where you're sitting right now is behind all those teams. So if there's only three guys on your board that you like, you might be forced into it. Uh, but then again, you got to have also three guys on the board that you like. So if you only got one guy on the board, more than likely he's going to be gone uh, pretty quickly. So yeah, two is interesting given that one probably doesn't want a quarterback. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that draft order, I'll probably have to go through it a little bit better and, and see what teams kind of want to get a full evaluation of it. But yeah, that's my, my yeah. first impressions anyway. Yeah. Well, I think with the Falcons at eight, especially, and the fact that they've lost Matt Ryan and they brought in Marcus Mariota, I think it's pretty safe that they will draft a quarterback. I think they should anyway. Um, so we'll see if the Panthers say, for example, take Willis at six, the Falcons may take Pickett at eight or vice versa. We'll see. I'd, I'm not too sure who likes who, um, but it'll be interesting to see. And look, we'll have plenty of uh, time to talk about it leading up to the draft in a couple of weeks time, of course, um, when we'll uh, have some shows more focused on it. But that is the end of our news section for this week. Um, thankfully, actually, it's been quite quiet uh, this week. So, you know, we've actually been searching for news stories. They haven't just been right there and trying to eliminate the ones maybe that didn't feel so uh, relevant this week. But um, earlier on this week, we were delighted to have the opportunity to speak to Mike Olivia from DolphinsTalk.com, talking all about the Miami Dolphins. Uh, off-season, including the, the trade for Tyreek Hill. They're all their off-season move. New head coach, Mike McDaniels. We spoke a little bit about um, Brian Flores in his case, of course, against the NFL and um, a couple of the teams, including the Dolphins. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, bring you that interview. And you're welcome back to the Under Center podcast with Dara and Fionn. We are changing directions here for the second part. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Miami Dolphins. And joining us for the second part of the show, we are delighted to have Mike Olivia from DolphinsTalk.com. Mike, it's been uh, it's been a while in the making to sort of get you on the show. We're delighted to have you on. How are you? Glad to be here, guys. How are you doing today? Uh, we are doing we are doing good. We're doing good. As a as a famous uh sportscaster over in america would say we're all the better for talking to you sir <laughs> yes <laughs> we are going to talk a little bit about the miami dolphins today and they've definitely had uh, quite a busy off season um especially in free agency and of course the big tyreek hill um trade um and what we've seen is mike especially with the off season moves um in free agency is they are putting a, a, uh, an emphasis on improving their offense. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Because the offense, more than the past few years, but let's not go back, way back, um, under the Brian Flores, the offense was just abysmal. It was, um, talent-wise, there wasn't much there. And from a coaching-wise, it was turnover like on top of turnover, you know, four offensive line coaches in three years, four offensive coordinators in three years. Nobody knows who's calling the plays because they won't admit it. It's just guys coming. It's It was chaos on offense and um, not a lot of talent and poor coaching. It really held this team back because they've won 10 to nine games the past two years with an abysmal offense. If they even hit a mediocre offense, they're probably in the playoffs at least one of those years and who knows what else. So the um, offensive side of the ball, it's a weakness across the board. You can throw a dart and pick any position. It was weak. Um, so they had to put a lot of money and a lot of um, emphasis on that side of the ball to upgrade the talent level and obviously with the coaching as well. Um, but, yes, that was needed sorely. And now they are – I don't want to say the best offensively because they're not, but they're one of the better offenses in the league on paper, at least, when it comes to skill position players and talent. Yeah, and I guess it's it's one of those that 
I, you obviously always want to improve your offense, but I guess it's something that they've had to do, especially seeing the moves that other AFC sides have made this uh, this offseason, that the AFC now has become so uh, inflated and so jacked that, you know, there's so many good teams in this conference now that there are going to be a few good ones that won't make the playoffs. And if the Dolphins wanted to be part of that conversation in the offseason, they, they did have to improve and, and make some really big signings. Yeah, uh, the AFC right now, as you said, is loaded. And there's also a second factor here, which doesn't get spoken about enough. When Flores was fired and that whole thing went down, then he filed his lawsuit against the league and he named and he named Miami with the Giants and Broncos and a couple of things. And obviously he's saying that the owner in Miami um, offered him money to lose games and all that stuff. Well, what he did was let a fire under the butt of that owner. He said, you think I want to lose? Watch this. And he just wrote a bunch of checks to bring in a bunch of big name guys. And, I, and I, I'm going to show the world I ain't here to lose. I'm here to win. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. So there's that aspect as well, which isn't, um, which isn't really talked about much. Um, in Miami a little bit because people know what's going on down there, but in, you know, from a wider perspective across the globe or in the United States, if you're in, you know, Washington, you know, it's not really spoken about. The other side is this team's made the playoffs twice in like 20 years. At some point you gotta, you know, stop, you know, hoping that, you know, people who take in the draft improve over time. This, you got to go for it at some point and try to bring in proven veterans who have, a resume in the NFL who you know they can play. There's no risk involved. If you take a guy in round one, two, three, there's risk. So you hope for the best, but you don't know if they're going to be good. We see lots of guys every year in the draft don't make it. And, you know, over the course of a year or two or three, they just sort of phase out of the league. You get someone like Hill. You get someone like Armstead. You get someone like Cedric Wilson or the running backs they sign. You know they can play. I mean, you know they can play. So, um, yeah, they really just needed – to um, have a shift in mindset to how this roster was constructed, especially on offense. And let's bring in some guys who we know can play. And let's try, <laughs> try a whole different approach. Mm -hmm. Mike, uh, the Tyreek Hill move got a lot of headlines, not just because he's a, he's a top player, but also because in the world of, of NFL coverage, it wasn't really expected or spoken about much before it happened. Obviously, a great get for you guys. How much do you think it had impacted the recent outgoing of Devontae Parker? Do you think that was triggered by Hill coming in, or was that something that was on the cards already? Uh, pro it's that's tough. Um, Parker was a first round pick in 2015, 14th overall. Never lived up to the hype. Never mm. lived up to expectations. Guy was always hurt. Missed a ton of games, even when he played. You know, sometimes he would start a game, play a few snaps. I can't go take himself out. Just constant injuries um, off the field. He never really, there's a lot of reports. He never acted like a professional in how he took care of his body and how much time he put into preparation. He might have been gone anyways. The addition of Hill just makes it that much easier um, because I think Parker had no more guaranteed money. Don't hold me to that. I'm pretty sure though. And they can move on from him and not have to eat any money on the cap, which makes it easier. And plus, now you have Hill and um, Waddle, Cedric Wilson, who they brought in. And they got some other young guys as well, like Lynn Bowden and Preston Williams, who are okay guys. You know, So they have a nice, well-rounded unit without Parker. So it makes it that much easier to move them. Even if they didn't get Hill, they probably still would have moved Parker because I think then with their picks, they would have held on to in rounds one or two. They probably would have taken a wide receiver to make it – because Parker – He's been here through a lot of head coaches. He's been here through a lot of general managers. You just wear out your welcome in time. Sometimes you just got to move on from mm -hmm. guys who underperform every season. Yeah. And, and, and of course, with the, the hire of Mike McDaniel um, as the head coach, obviously coming over from the 49ers and the other moves that have been made, of course, getting um, Frank Smith to be the offensive coordinator who was the run game coordinator, I believe in the charges before he moved over. You can see maybe with these moves as well, especially with the Raheem Mostert and, and um, Chase Edmonds signing too, that we could be seeing a 49er style offense coming into play now with, with the Dolphins. And I think one signing, I think that aids that, that I haven't mentioned just yet is actually fullback Alec Ingold, who we could possibly see try to play that Kyle Usek role. 
Yeah, uh, th- yeah. Make no mistake about it. this is a run first team. This is a team that's going to run the ball mainly because, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it soon enough. They don't have a quarterback who can just drop back 35 times a game, air it out, win it with his arm. So, which is fine. Not every guy has to be that. But when you don't have that guy, you have to be self-aware enough to know I don't have that guy. So I can't ask him to throw it 35 times. I might need him to throw a 21-22. And if we can run the ball with success, then he'll be successful. And this is going to be very much like the San Francisco offense where they are going to have multiple running backs who can run the ball, grind it out, play action pass, and we got speed wide receivers to throw it downfield. So when you do that play action pass, we got guys who can get downfield and get the ball. That's what this offense will be. It's run first 100%. And they brought in two new offensive linemen because they had the worst offensive line in the league last year. And, you know, you see the ranking that it was 32nd. The gap between 31 and 32 was big. It wasn't just bad. It was historically bad. And even the year before, off the top of my head, it was like 29th ranked. It was just as bad pretty much. So they brought in two guys. I don't think they're done there. I, I still think they're going to sign one more guy here in free agency. Maybe not a big name or superstar, just another veteran, though, because the guys they have in-house, the young guys they've used so much draft capital on rounds one and two, aren't getting the job done. And they got to bring in guys who can play. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels in the mud here, and you're going nowhere. Mike, you alluded to him. Uh, we might as well bring it up now, seeing as soon as you have. Tua, are you in the camp that you think that we've kind of seen what we needed to see from him? You, you know what he's going to be like under center? Or do you think with these injuries that maybe he still has some improvement to do and he might, he might be a pleasant surprise to some of those Dolphins fans who are a little bit down on him at the moment? When it comes to Tua, it is like talking politics. You're on yeah. one side of the aisle or you're on the other. Mm-hmm. And just like in politics, one side doesn't have all the answers. The truth is usually in the middle. And with Tua, the truth is in the middle. Is he as bad as some people in the media and fans make him out to be to where he can't even tie his own shoes and he is the worst thing since, you know, um, since whatever? No, he's not that bad. Now, is he so great to where, you know, he's so great, but since everyone around him stinks, it's not his fault? No, it's not that either. It's in the middle. He is a middle-of-the-road Good NFL quarterback. Good. Can he be great? He's only played like, well, two full seasons, but he missed a lot of games in that time. So say a season and a half. I don't know if he can be great. He's got the potential to be great, but I don't know if he's going to be great. Do I think he's ever going to be awful? No, I don't think he'll ever be awful. I just think, you know, if you're ranking 32 NFL starting quarterbacks right now, you know, he's between 15 and 20. Somewhere in that range. That's not that's not going to get you excited, but it's also not the worst thing in the world. Again, with little to no help around him, he's won a lot of games these past two years. That's what people mm-hmm. don't, you know. So now he's got help around him. So there's no excuse there. And he has a coach who he hasn't had in a few years, an offensive-minded coach who is going to be better than anything he's ever had since Alabama. Brian Flores, For oh, there's a lot to say about Brian Flores. He's a guy who just wants to win the win games on one side of the ball defense and just make a couple plays each game on offense and hope that offense doesn't screw it up. Well, that doesn't work in 2022 in the NFL. You see these playoff games, Bills, Chiefs, just bing, 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 touchdown, 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 touchdown. Cincinnati, big plays. Um, Rams, big play. Tampa Bay, it's a big play type offense. That worries me a little bit with Miami that they're going to try to grind it out more on the ground. But at least it's a philosophy. It works in San Francisco. I'm open to it because we haven't had a philosophy in offense in God knows how many years in Miami. I'll take this over nothing because we've had nothing. So give me this. And I think it's a quarterback. I It's not the most exciting take, but I think it's the most honest. He's okay. And there's nothing wrong with being okay and not knowing yet after two years. You look at the quarterbacks who were drafted in the past three or four years in round one. you got guys like Josh Rosen who's pretty much out of the league. You got Dwayne Haskins, Sam Darnold, Justin Fields, who still we don't know a lot about, but that's a thing we don't know a lot about. So the anomalies are the guys like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Those are the guys day one, pretty much day one. Boom, you know they're going to be great, and they just keep getting better. Most guys aren't like that. And when you compare them to everyone else, Jones for the Giants, guys who've come out recently, you know he's better than most of those guys. But because he came in the draft with Herbert and Joe Burrow, he gets only compared to them. He doesn't get compared to any other rookie quarterback 
which isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you you said that he has a lot around him now, but what he has now, I think probably, and this is my own opinion. You, you can tell me I'm wrong, but he has a for the first time really a legitimate sort of backup and someone that will contend for that number one role because you know Jacoby Brissett, you know. He tries, um, he but he probably. Well, I was going to say he tries, but he okay, tries. he stinks. He stinks. <laughs> he can't play. Yeah, um, but now bringing on Teddy Bridgewater, okay, he's not saw. He's like you were saying. If you're having the rank of one to thirty-two, he's definitely below two in that fifteen to twenty range. He's more closer to that thirty-two. If you saw like what he did with the Broncos last year, but he is still there and. Do you think that if Tua is struggling at any point in this season with the amount that they have invested in, that Mike McDaniel will have no problem pulling the trigger and benching Tua and bringing Teddy on? Um, It's possible, but it won't be right away. He has this year a long leash here um, in Tua because I think everyone, especially those in Miami who are around this team each and every day, who know how bad it was on offense under Brian Flores. They know... Tua really never got a fair shake. Year one, let's go to year one. He's coming off the hip injury at Alabama. Take him fifth. Ryan Fitzpatrick starts the season. Team's winning games. Out of the blue. And this really happened. People, I mean, for people who aren't familiar with this, it sounds insane, but this is how it really happened. Ryan Flores, middle of the season, tells his offensive corner, kind of like a Monday or Tuesday, after they just won a game, we're switching quarterbacks this week. Offensive coordinator had no heads up. Because when you're going from Ryan Fitzpatrick, a big veteran righty, to a smaller guy who's a lefty, who's a rookie, that's going to change how you put together a game plan. And to even blindside your own offensive coordinator with this news isn't healthy for anybody. And then he gets in there too. Uh, he plays all right as a rookie for, you know, okay first few games. First time he has a rough half in a game, Flores yanks him. Well, as a rookie, you're not going to get better unless you go through some growing pains. you got to take your lumps. And if you're down in a game, big in the first half, but you're probably not going to come back and win, that's a perfect time to take your lumps. You're going to lose anyways. Learn from this experience. No, he take him out. Then he then he goes, he's my starter next week. He'd start for a game or two. Same thing would happen. Oh, now we're struggling. Take him out. You can't learn that way. He was sabotaged that way. This past year, Tua um, hurts his thumb or his, uh, no, hurts his middle finger, uh, misses a game. Then they play on a Thursday. Two is in practice throw and says he's fine. Flores goes, eh, I don't think he's fine. He's not going to start. He'll be the number two, though, which makes no sense. If you're you're either healthy enough to play or you can't, and if you can play, you're the starter. Start. So, lo and behold, Jacoby Brissett gets hurt. Tua has to play. Goes out there throwing the ball. No, he wasn't hurt. The head coach sabotages kid every step of the way, not even not even talking about the Watson rumors, which all came from the head coach, which just was a black cloud hanging over everybody um, all season. That all came from the head coach and nobody else. Um, so now he's got a fair shot, and I think they're going to give him a long leash this year because they got to know because next year they're loaded with picks. They got two picks in round one. Now they got two picks in round three. They got a pick in round two. Um, they're loaded with picks. So if he falls on his face this year, they can then – take those picks next year, trade them to a team and get a veteran quarterback, someone who might be available, which we saw this year. People are willing to trade a lot more than ever now or use those picks to take someone in round one or if they got to move up in round one, they got extra picks to move up. So he's going to get a long leash this year because they got to know. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Moving over then to the defensive side of the ball, it's been quite quiet, like we said, in the offseason. Some key – uh, re-signings though first of all on the line with Emmanuel Ogba uh, and then there over the weekend Xavier Howard signing a new deal um, too and it's been quite the turnaround for the Dolphins and, and Howard from him wanting to leave and, and asking for a trade now to, to signing a new deal yeah uh, Howard the last deal he signed bad I mean he he was a good player when he signed it I don't know who was advising him to sign that deal It was the most team-friendly deal I've ever seen in my life with a player. You know, he's making money, yeah, no doubt. But for being one of the – at the time then, he was still one of the top five corners in the league. Now he's probably one or two at worst. At worst, he's two. He he might be one. And, you know, I think people started to tell him, 
you signed a bad deal. And he got upset. And most teams, after you give a guy a five-year deal, will not renegotiate it one year in. So he tried it. They said, no, I want to be traded. They gave him incentive, make him happy in the short term. And they told him last year, this was key. So he showed, because you can't really hold out no more because of the fines and all that stuff. The rules make it to where you can't hold out. So he did a sit-in where you show up and just do nothing. So you can't find me. I'm here. But I'm not going to practice. I'm hurt. Hamstring. Make something up, essentially. So he did that. And then in August, he goes, he puts up the message, I want to be traded, all that stuff. Miami, they gave him a little bit more money, not much. And they promised him, next March, we will either rip up your deal, pay you, you know, like you want, or we will trade you to a team that will pay you like you want. And it technically happened on April 1st, not March, but they lived up to their side of the bargain and they paid him probably what he should be paid. But it is a message to all the other players out there. Make sure you know what you're signing and make sure you know your worth, because this is a very rare and probably one off type of situation to where when a player signs a five year deal, one year in, two years in, teams aren't going to rip up that deal and just hand you a new one. You got to have like. 10 interceptions a year like he did in 2020, five or six more last year with a couple touchdowns like he did. You got to be like top of the top to even try that. And he was able to do it, but not a lot of players would be able to. No, definitely. And there's a, like you mentioned with Flores that he wanted to win games uh, on defense. And, and, and that is one thing that, I guess if you want you want to give to him, he has built a really good defense. One person, especially uh, the rookie last year, uh, Jevon Holland, is a player that I, I myself personally are looking forward to see how how much he progresses in the second year. Yeah, he was really good last year. I was really really good. Um, sky is the limit with him. The that side of the ball, they up front with the front four is excellent. And the secondary with Jones, Howard, Holland, and Brandon Jones right now. I mean, once again, I don't want to say it's the best in the league, but it's probably top five, top three, somewhere in there. That is as good a secondary as you're going to find. Holland is a rookie. He came in, made plays all over the field, sideline to sideline, north and south. He can cover. He can hit. He can blitz when you need him. He is all over the place. That is as good a secondary as they're in the league. And up front with the front four, they're very good there. Linebackers are bad. I'm just not going to miss words. They're bad at linebacker. And that's one thing, again, since they don't have picks now in rounds one and two, that's why I still think they might be a little bit active here still in this sort of second and third wave of free agency because they need at least one more proven offensive lineman, I think, either right tackle or center. They can go either way there. Um, and they do need help at linebacker because they're not, they're just not very good at linebacker. But up front and on the back end, they're as good as it comes on defense. Mike, with the draft coming up, how do you expect the Dolphins to draft? And with the new head coach, how is the how is the drafting structure like in the Dolphins? Does the owner have a lot of say? Does he give a lot of that to the GM and the head coach? And like, how's the power distributed in the Dolphins? Well, how the power distributes it? Well, that's two different questions. When it comes <laughs> to the draft, the owner is not involved. It's uh, Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel. And Chris Greer, he's been to Miami not as the GM. He's been here 20 years as of this year. He's only been the GM since like 2016. And through the various head coaches with Adam Gase, Flores, and now Mike McDaniel, Chris Greer is known to be someone who, you know, he doesn't say my way or the highway. I have final say. Here's what we're doing. He does give a lot of power and control over to the coach. It's more of a um, collaborative effort where he will take the head coach's input and what they want and very favorably. So I think Mike McDaniel is going to have a heavy influence on that, and it's going to be a joint effort there. Um, Chris Greer, he's just not that guy to, you know, pull the card out. I'm the GM, you're not. Here's who we're picking. Shut up and like it. He's just not that guy. Some guys are that guy on some teams. He's just not one of them. When it comes to power structure in Miami, it's – that's like another hour of conversation <laughs> with this owner and Chris Greer, who's been here forever, and the amount of head coaches who've come through in recent years. It's – a uh, Stephen Ross is the owner. He's getting older. He just wants to win. He and when it comes to the whole thing with Flores, here's what I'll tell people. I know Flores won games the past two seasons, and um, but they missed the playoffs. But he won games. But 
he couldn't get along with there was reports he stopped talking to his own staff the staff he hired around um late november just stopped talking to him and because he couldn't get along with people he didn't like any veterans that's the one thing if you look at miami in the time he was here flores very few veterans and the few he brought in he ran off after a year kyle vanoy eric flowers um just to name two there's also uh pass rusher's name i'm forgetting right now um Shaq Lawson, he didn't. He had them for a year. He doesn't. He didn't like veterans who have been on some other teams and have been in the league who kind of know what's going on in the league. Questioning him, he likes a young kid out of college who's going to say yes, sir, okay, sir. You say jump, tell me how high, and not question his authority in any way. So now with him gone, they've totally brought in veterans again because in this league you cannot win with just first and second year guys, and you cannot run off every veteran. It's Every year, it's like you're like a farm team where you got like the new kids in and you have to sort of coach them up to how the NFL works. And it was a mess with Flores. And I think if he's saying that the owner told him, it was probably tongue in cheek and a joke. Now, that might get that owner in trouble, even if he was joking, because if he said it, you did say it. And, you know, tone, context is always key. If someone doesn't think you're joking, you might take it seriously. You can still get in trouble. I don't think it was serious in any way, but it the whole front office is a mess in Miami. The only saving grace is on the field with the players. This year, they got real players. In the past, it's a lot of young guys you're hoping for. This year, we know Tyree Kill can play. We know Teron Armstead can play. We know Waddle can play. The running backs can play. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Og, those guys, we know those guys can play. So talent-wise, has been upgraded significantly. And we've got a coaching staff of not of a whole bunch of guys who aren't just yes-men, which is what Flores want. He wanted yes-men. This is what we're going to do. And if anyone – he fired an offensive line coach three days into training camp. Three days! Because because uh, he had an idea that the head coach didn't want. You cannot run a team that way where you just want to put guys in or we're just going to say yes to everything and no one's ever – if anyone has an idea, don't share it because he's just going to shoot it down. And that's why it didn't work with Flores. And that's why that lawsuit is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Cause there's a lot more underneath than what, you know, your general fan who's not paying attention goes, well, he won games. Why are they fired? Well, there's more to it. <laughs> yeah. And look, um, it's going to be interesting because Flores and the Steelers are due to go to hard rock stadium in this next season. Oh, it's going to be the game of the year. Yeah, I, that's definitely, I think, penciled in for prime time for sure. Because be. it's going to be a I week mean, worth of debates for that leading up to that game. The definitely. only reason it, they don't put it on in prime time is because they don't want three hours on national TV of people talking about a lawsuit. <laughs> that's the only reason they don't put it well, on. Well, yeah. That would true. be the only reason they don't put it on in prime time. Otherwise, that should be a prime time game because even though he's just a linebacker's coach down there, you had a guy who undermined to every. Which, Every step of the way. And the, and the sad part is, when it came to that draft, Flores wanted Tua. It wasn't like Chris Greer said, we're taking him. You have no say in this. Flores gave it the stamp of approval. We're taking this guy. And after like six months of him, he's like, I don't want him. I made a mistake. Well, too late. Can't go back in a time machine and take Herbert now. You put your stamp of approval on him. You can't undermine the kid because you think you screwed up. So that's why that game's going to be so interesting. It's going to be a media circus. It's going to be an awful. Oh, for sure. <laughs> even like that's it. Even if it is just a, a regular you oh, know, still gonna get 1 PM game, it's still going to be talked about all week. Oh, yeah. It doesn't even matter. Um, look, listen, Mike, I know you're short the time, so uh, we're going to wrap it up here. We, we probably didn't get to talk as much draft as we would have liked, but we'll definitely love to we have you. We don't have any after. picks, so it's not much to talk. <laughs> Our first pick's well, you... 102. Yeah. That's a long ways away. I mean, who the heck knows they're going to take it 102? I mean, well, we'll we'll see, and um, like I said, we'd love to have you on after the draft to discuss yeah. them maybe a little more to see um, if there is any potential there, uh, maybe a few diamonds in the rough that Greer and McDaniel have maybe picked. But um, before we do let you go, uh, for anyone that's interested in uh, Dolphins Talk, uh, where can they find you? Head to the website, dolphinstalk.com. We have a bunch of commentary, news, all the news when it happens, commentary articles, various podcasts so it's not just me every day talking get various perspectives from other people who cover the dolphins um videos up there we have everything over at that website and of course if you're on twitter you can follow us at dolphins talk excellent stuff mike like i said it's been great having you on to to discuss some dolphins and we really appreciate the time and hope to speak to you again um, a couple of weeks maybe after the draft absolutely anytime guys 
Uh, that's where we're going to wrap up this edition of the Under Center podcast. Before we go, uh, make sure you follow us on our own social channels at Under Center Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. It's the exact same handle. Uh, Twitter, uh, I sorry, should say YouTube, just search Under Center Podcast. Uh, the audio version of the shows are always released too. Just search Under Center Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You will find us there. Uh, Fionn, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, until next time and guys make sure you stay safe and we will be back with a new edition of the show next week <laughs>